You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, one of the uh, more exciting things that has been seen on social media, and yes, we're talking about off-season excitement, but it's still something. Leave me alone. Amari Rogers posted on Twitter, since March, we've been locking it up, pushing each other. You get out what you put in. Can't wait to see you thrive, family. Who he's referring to is cornerback Eric Stokes. So Amari Rogers and Eric Stokes apparently have been working out together since March. We've already talked about uh, um, Amari Rogers and what he said about last year and how he was kind of taken off guard about how much work it was. Um, just the the NFL season, how long the season is, how much work goes into the season on top of you know the, the college season and the draft and all that. It's just a very exhausting year. And, um, you know, he was honest about it. I mean, you could say, well, that's a lame excuse. You should have been right. Whatever. He's, he's saying he wasn't. Wasn't ready. He didn't understand the, the grind of it all and uh, says he's much more ready, much more prepared, much uh, in much better shape. And sounds like he's putting in the work in the offseason. And obviously working out with Stokes is, is pretty fantastic, especially for Amari, because we know Stokes is, is pretty much a solid player. So I'm not going to launch into the whole Amari Rogers thing. I feel like that's becoming a daily thing and it's getting boring even for me to talk about, but it's good to see. You know, I, I just like to see guys putting in the work um, and especially guys like Amari, you know, some people you kind of look at and say, maybe they just don't have it. But with, in the case of Amari Rogers, you know, there's some level of raw potential there that he didn't reach. Maybe it's not much more. Maybe he's almost at a ceiling and it's just not cut in the cards for him as an NFL prospect, but we didn't even hardly utilize him for, for what we thought we would utilize him as. You know, I mean, as big of a guy as he is, you know, something, you know, you got the jet sweep end around thing. You've got the wide receiver screens. You could put him in the backfield. I mean, just anything like that. We just didn't really get to see much. We saw him basically as a, as a straight up slot receiver running routes and that's it, you know? So, and, and, and he played at a high level at a major, major program at Clemson. So I'm, I'm holding out hope. I, I, I still like the guy. I don't know what it is with me in third round picks lately between him and Josiah DeGuara. I just foolishly have not given up hope on our most recent third round picks. I refuse to. And I refuse to do it this year also. Sean Ryan's going to be great. But I thought that was pretty cool to see. And I'm, I'm, I'm just getting jacked up, man. I want to see these guys get in there and start playing. But speaking of, um, tomorrow, the rookies report. So that should be pretty exciting. Hopefully there's some kind of news coming out or pictures. I don't care. Give me something. Give me anything to work with. Uh, 25th, you got the shareholder meeting, 26th, you got the veterans showing up, 27th, first practice. So we got, we got six days, man, six days. How glorious. And it's, it's a grind from that point on, because I I know how these practices go. Essentially the way that I do it is I break down every single tweet about every single prospect, every single player. And uh, we go from there. 
It's basically me just sitting in front of the computer hitting, well, you don't have to hit refresh on Twitter, but more or less hitting refresh and taking every single tidbit out of there and, and using that information. So it's a grind, but it's fun, man. I, I love it. I, I, I love it. And I, the one thing I want to do this year is, is do a better job of, um, rather than just discarding it after, after practice one, practice two, whatever, keeping those, keeping those notes for each player so that we can kind of track that as it goes along to see how they're doing. So I'm, I'm, I'm so fired up, man. Six days. Oh, I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. I can't even. I just can't. Okay. Um, then you got August fifth is the family night scrimmage, which you know isn't as exciting as it used to be, but it is what it is. And then August twelfth is the first preseason game at the 49ers. So about three weeks for that. But even even in between, we got plenty to work with. So we got one more week of just um, not much going on. Also got the joint practice with the Saints coming up prior to the uh, the game with the Saints. So. Oh, I'm excited. Um, interesting tidbit, and I, I keep telling people, don't worry about it, don't worry about it, it's stupid to worry about it, but, um, you know, it is kind of getting down to unusual territory. Christian Watson has still not been signed to his rookie contract. With rookies set to report by tomorrow, it's kind of important that they get this contract hammered out. And apparently the sticking point is is going to be guaranteed money. The The Value of the contract is pretty much set in stone, but the the um, guarantees aren't. And it used to be, according to this article by Bill Huber, it used to be a little bit more understood kind of how these contracts are going to lay out. But apparently the the um, guarantees have started to trickle from the first round into the second round. In other words, fully guaranteed contract for you know these star first round prospects or whatever was kind of the norm and not so much for the second round but now you've got teams for example the Houston Texans drafted Jalen Petrie um on May 11th they signed him to a contract that guaranteed every penny of the first 3 years of his contract uh with the 38th pick the Atlanta Falcons drafted edge rusher Arnold Debicetti last week they signed him to a contract that also guaranteed every penny of the first 3 seasons by contrast, last year's number 37 pick was used on uh, Landon Dickerson. Eagles guaranteed years one and two and about one third of year three. A source not affiliated with the Packers or Watson said because of the Petrie and Ebiketti deals, the few uh, the first few selections in round two are looking for some guaranteed money in year four. Just, uh, just how much money guaranteed, uh, how much money he's going to get is the sticking point. So the point is the players are moving closer and closer to fully guaranteed, right? So the first three years guaranteed is becoming the norm. Now you got players saying, I want some of your four guaranteed and, and just kind of how all this stuff plays out. They're close, but the, the point is the, the, the rookies and, and it's, it's not the rookies. I mean, they, they have no idea how any of this stuff works, but the, the agents are seeing the writing on the wall and, and moving closer and closer in a certain direction. And teams are like, no, that's not how we do things here. So it, it just creates some contention, I guess. Um, and, and I guess this is not unique. It's not just a Packers thing. Um, this is becoming an issue, especially in this range, right? Later round picks, it's kind of established how these things work. First round picks, it's pretty established. But the second, third round guys are kind of starting to try to get a little bit more. It says 11 second round picks are currently unsigned, which is a lot. That's, you know, one third of the second round is unsigned. And it's, it's largely because of this reason. The second round prospects want to start getting some of that first round love. And, and, you know, the, the issue isn't even so much the players necessarily being greedy. It's, it's um, you know, teams are starting to give into that. And so you got the Packers looking over at the Titans or whoever and being like, dude, why are you, you're setting a precedent here. And now we all are supposed to follow you and the Packers and obviously 11 other, 10 other teams are looking at that going, no, we're not interested in following that. That's not how we do things here. But 
it'll get figured out. By the way, the uh, should be added to that list of, of events for the Green Bay Packers. Not that it's a Packers event necessarily, but that uh, Bayern Munich, the soccer match, that's going to be taking place at 6 p.m. on July 23rd. So a couple days for that as well. So again, man, stuff's happening. I don't really care about soccer all that much, but I am interested to see. I'll, I'll see if I can even tune into that just to see how full it is and kind of how that goes. It'd be kind of cool to see some fired up soccer fans. Be nice to see at least people some you know standing and being excited at a at, at Lambeau Field for once. Um, kind of bouncing back and forth. I should have done a better job of organizing my notes here. But um, in addition to you've got you know Stokes and uh, Amari working out together, and and I've mentioned stuff like this before. How I, I I like when players do this stuff. Maybe it doesn't matter. I don't know. But I, I I keep going back to the time I saw that Russell Wilson brought all his receivers out and they would work out in the off season. It would be for like a week or whatever. But I just I like that. It's important that you kind of stick together, even if it's for a short period of time, just to kind of stay in that rhythm and work on some stuff. You know, working independently is fine, but that's really not how football works, right? It's 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 one big machine that needs to work together. So I always like that. So seeing Amari and, and, and Stokes working together is cool, but apparently Adrian Amos also invited people out to Baltimore for to, to his hometown. Jonathan Jones on Twitter says, much like NFL quarterbacks do, Packers safety Adrian Amos invited all and hosted several, including Darnell Savage, Green Bay's defensive backs to a week of workouts in his hometown of Baltimore earlier this month. He capped off the week with a kid's football camp at his old high school. So I I, I just, I like it, man. I, I feel like there's a, and maybe maybe this stuff happened all the time. We just didn't hear about it all that much, but I love how, and it's mostly, you know, I mean, Amos isn't necessarily young, but it's the level of, of motivation I really, really like. You know, I mean, th- there was a time not too long ago that this was, you know, a lot of veteran guys that kind of just went through the motions and, you know, some of them were good, some of them weren't, but it just was what it was. You show up, you go to work and, and you do your thing. But I, I just get the feeling, especially with this defense, that they know that there's something special here and they're, they're ready to hone their craft and, and, and really show that this is a different Green Bay Packers unit. You know, regardless of whatever the history of Green Bay is, which is, I mean, not that there's always been bad defenses. I mean, you go back to any time the Packers won the Super Bowl, they've had great defenses. And go back prior to my time on this earth, there were some solid defenses. But traditionally, this has been an offensive football team. Even back when we won the Super Bowl and had solid defenses, it was still, even if you could say the defense was better, people see the Packers as an offensive team with Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. And this is going to be the first time in a very long time that potentially this is a defensive-led football team, even with Aaron Rodgers at the helm. This is a team led by the defense that is complemented by Aaron Rodgers in this offense. And I think they believe that. I, 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 and I, I just, I love, you know, for so long, even the defense was tied into Aaron Rodgers. I talked about how when, when Rodgers would go down, the defense would fall apart because he is just the, the leader. He is the guy. And it seems like the defense has kind of formed its own identity. You know, we don't, you know, they don't have a problem with Rodgers, but they don't need him. It's not about them. We even started to see that last year. You know, you look at that 49ers game, the offense couldn't do anything. Didn't matter. Maybe that was one of the benefits of last year, even though they had up and down games, that the defense, when it was at its best, had nothing to do with the offense. It didn't care. It wasn't like the offense couldn't get it together, so they started to fall apart. They were just their their own independent machine. And you see things like this, and it's, again, it's, we don't need to be led by anybody. We don't need Aaron Rodgers. We don't need Devontae Adams. We don't need Matt LaFleur and Joe Barry to, to tell us what to do and to point us in the right direction. We're the monsters here. We're the animals here. We are in control of our destiny. We are the ones that are the elite of the elite. We are the special forces of the NFL. 
And so he gathered together maybe the most talented special team or the most talented defensive backs group, brought them together and said, let's train, let's work, let's grind, because they know what they are if they can be at their best. And that, that really does make a big difference. Because it's, you know, if, like everything else, it's a range. There are, there are no guarantees. We, we know what Amos can be. We know what Savage can be. We saw it year two. He was a really talented safety. We know what Jair can be. We, we have an idea what Stokes can be. We know what Razul can be. But none of those guys have to be that. And so you get that range of, you know, what are they at their best and what are they at they, their worst? And it's a massive range. But to see the motivation and, and the hunger and the drive to be the best gets me excited. To have Amos step up as a leader and say, I want you boys out here, and they showed up, and they went out and worked. You know, Stokes and, and, uh, and Amari. There, there's no obligation for these guys to get together and work together. They chose to. Uh, in this article that was written by uh, Zach Cruz, kind of talking about this, uh, during the minicamp last month, Amos made the, the comment, we love being around each other. And it's stuff like that that's, that's exciting. And that's part of what makes a secondary real solid. Because again, it's not about independent players. Right, Aaron Donald, fine. He's an independent force on his own. It doesn't really matter what happens around him. He's a wrecking ball. But generally, the the quality of a defense isn't just individual stars doing their own thing. It can be, but it it's a, a really good defense is a unit that works together. Especially when you're talking secondary, right? You can get a pass rusher to just wreck stuff, but a good defense, it's generally not going to be just one good pass rusher wrecking everything. It's a unit. Amos went on to say, we're definitely excited about it. Everything comes down to how we uh, execute when the season comes. On paper and knowing each other, we can definitely be special, but we have to take that day by day, execute all the time, be consistent. That's it. Even a great defense can look terrible. And again, that was the issue last year. They were a great defense. They just kept looking bad at times. They forgot. They, they didn't put it on the field. You know, 38 points week one, but then they followed it up with 17 points. Well, that's solid. But then they gave up 28 to the 49ers. That's not great. But then 17 to the Steelers. Well, that's nice. 22 to the Bengals. That's pretty good. 14 to the Bears. 10 to Washington. 21 to Arizona. 13-0. I mean, that's a heck of a stretch right there. 22 being the highest over the course of, what, five weeks? But then they give up 34 points to the Vikings. What the heck happened? We ended up losing that game. Those are the things that are the problem. Then 28 to the Rams. Then we come out of the bye. We give up 30 to the Bears. 30 to the Ravens. What the heck is going on? And then it's back to 22 to the Browns and then 10 to the Vikings, who we just gave up 34 to. Now, all of a sudden, we crush them 37 to 10, but then turn around and give up 37 to the Lions. That's not acceptable. But then in the playoffs, 13. So most of the season, I think, was great. I mean, again, 24 is kind of that line, right? That's sort of the average. Um, There were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games above. There were 11 games below. But I think the bigger issue is one, two, three, four, five games in the 30s, including two of them in the upper 30s, and and one of them being the Lions. You know, two of them being division opponents, 34 and 37, but the Lions, 37, I mean, come on. It's stuff like that that, you know, when you're doing stuff, even bad defenses don't do, that's a problem. So it's 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 the consistency thing, like he said. It, that's what it comes down to. So I'm loving it. I, I I like just even general camaraderie. Even back in the day when you know the wide receivers would get together at Jordy's farm and stuff, it was just cool that they got together. But the fact that they're getting together and working like that, um, especially the the defense and especially especially the secondary, because that's that seems to be the strength. And there's a lot of strengths, but that is one of the stronger and more complete units that we have. And for them to to know that and to capitalize on the opportunity, it's exciting. Anyways, I want to switch gears here. Um, Again, a lot of times I just like to poke around at articles, even from 
articles that I think are not super worthwhile, but sometimes they spark thoughts in my brains. Heavy.com, which is mostly a clickbaity type of site, has um, Packers Playmaker dubbed one of the NFL's best-kept secrets, and all they did is write an article based on an article, which is whatever. Um, bottom line is it's based on a Bleacher Report article by Gary Davenport, and it points at Lazard. And that's that's the main part of this. It says, Lazard isn't just going to duplicate Adam's production. That's not a realistic expectation. But if Lazard really does become Rodgers' top passing weapon, doubling his receptions and yardage from a year ago is well within reason. Anyways, it just kind of got me thinking. You've talked a lot about how, you know, Lazard could possibly have a Robert Brooks jump or any kind of jump, or the just the fact that somebody needs to fill that void as the number one wide receiver. But the question that I then had was, what is sort of the floor for Rodgers' top receiver? What is the worst number one receiver statistically that Rodgers has ever had? Obviously, it's possible that this is the worst ever, but it's worthwhile looking back. So if we kind of go backwards a little bit, the, the most recent season we've seen in which nobody cracked 1,000 yards was 2019. Devontae Adams had 997 yards and five touchdowns. The, the biggest issue with that, though, is he only played 12 games. And so I'm, I'm not looking at injuries as being part of this. I'm, I'm looking at if Devont, or if Alan Lazard plays um, all 17 games, what is sort of his floor? Or, you know, maybe he misses a game here or there or whatever, but 12 games is missing four. That's pretty significant. Basically, Devontae was on, on track for 1,300 yards, so not the best example of what Alan Lazard's floor would be. If we go back a little further, however, you've got um, 2017, and Devontae Adams again was the highest, 885 yards and 10 touchdowns. Now, again, he did miss two games still. The bigger issue is the fact that Aaron Rodgers was not the quarterback. And again, the question is, what is the floor for an Aaron Rodgers wide receiver who is a number one wide receiver that plays the entire season? What is the lowest you would expect a wide receiver to get in terms of yardage? So I can't use 2017 as an example. I think the best example that I can find would have to be 2015. James Jones played 16 games, started 15, had 890 yards and eight touchdowns. In addition, Randall Cobb was very, very close. 16 games, 15 started, 829 yards and six touchdowns. And and the reason why this makes the most sense is because it's, you got one guy who is kind of the number one, but there isn't really a true number one. You, you've also got Richard Rodgers at 500. Devontae had 483 yards. You've got kind of just a pile of guys, and your top three are looking at 500, 800, 800. There's also the parallel of Jordy Nelson being out 2015 due to an injury. I mean, there's no injury, but you got your star wide receiver that goes out, and so who steps up to the plate? Well, you've got kind of two guys sharing that number one role with James Jones and Randall Cobb, and then again, Devontae, who is the rookie, kind of filling that number three spot, getting roughly 500 yards. So you could easily see James Jones and Randall Cobb being Sammy Watkins and Alan Lazard with Devontae Adams being Christian Watson. But again, even still, we're not really talking about what is um, Alan Lazard's floor if he is that true number one wide receiver. This is if there really isn't a true number one, and we just kind of distribute Devontae Adams across two guys, which would be fantastic. Not only are we, because it's not just Alan Lazard's floor is 800. His floor is 800, assuming we have two guys at 800. Again, those numbers have to go somewhere. The only other example I could find of, of not cracking 1,000 was in um, 2012, 
Randall Cobb had 957 yards, but you had James Jones at 786, Jordy Nelson at 745, Jermichael Finley at 667, Greg Jennings at 336. So this is sub-1,000 barely with two guys at 700 and another guy at 600. Every other season, somebody's cracked 1,000. So in other words, it's going to be one or the other. If we get a number one receiver, he will crack 1,000 yards this year. The only way that doesn't happen is if we get multiple players very near 1,000 yards. So again, the the potential of even in this article talking about, well, you know, Lazard's not going to get those kinds of numbers. He might. It's just a matter of, is he going to be a true number one, or is it just going to be like a, a pile of receivers that the ball gets distributed around to, which is is a very likely scenario. But if things don't work out super well with Sammy, or there's an injury there, if the rookies don't automatically launch themselves into a number one, I think it's very likely, pending any of those things, that Lazard cracks 1,000 yards, potentially 1,200 yards or more. If you look at some of the other seasons in 2008, you had two guys over 1,000 yards, Donald Driver, 1,012, Greg Jennings, 1,292. 2009 also had 2,000 yards, same same two guys, but Driver, 1,067, Jennings, 1,113. 2010, Greg Jennings, 1,265. Uh, 2011, you had Jordy Nelson at 1,263. 2012, you had Randall, that was the Randall Cobb, 957, we already talked about that. 2013, Jordy Nelson, 1,314. 2014 had Randall Cobb at 1287 and Jordy at 1519, which is just insane. 2015, we already talked about with two 800-yard guys. 2016 had Devontae at 997 and Jordy at 1257. 2017, we already talked about that was Devontae getting injured. Uh, 2018 had Devontae at 1,386. Or no, 2017 was Rodgers injured. 2019 was Devontae injured. Then 2020 had uh, Devontae at 1,300 and 2021 last year, 1,500 for Devontae. So just about every year, there's 1,000-yard receivers with the exception of a couple outliers, usually due to injury, whether it be a Rodgers injury or your your number one guy getting injured or whatever. But it's, it's more than likely that somebody on this team is a 1,000-yard receiver. Obviously, it would be great if it's a rookie because that would be um, what we want is for there to be someone down the line who is a dominant football player. And the, the best way for that to happen is for to be a rookie. And any rookie that comes out with a thousand yards typically is going to have a great career. So that's that's my vote if I get a vote on that. Christian Watson gets 1,100 yards. That would be phenomenal. But the safe money is somebody's going to crack a thousand yards this year. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break, Rashio? Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy if you want to support this year podcast. Also, do not forget about the Packernet Substack. Also, let us not forget if you want to call in and leave a message for the Packernet After Dark podcast, 608-501-0718. 608-501-0718. Call in, leave a message. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. 
Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so we had a question that I thought was uh, very good that I found. Well, I didn't find it. Justin found it and threw it in the Discord. But uh, it was a question from Adam in the Facebook group. It says, question, after listening to your piece on the defenses Aaron Rodgers has had in comparison to other star quarterbacks, I had a thought. The notion that the defense has consistently been average is okay for judging the success of a quarterback in leading a team to the playoffs. However, leading a team through the playoffs, I feel we need to answer how the defense ranked in all the playoff games we lost in relation to other star quarterback playoff losses. During the season, success is based on average success, while playoff success is based on individual games and it's win or go home. So the question is, how does the defense performance in all of the playoff losses of the Rodgers era compare to other star quarterback defensive performances in their playoff losses? I'm kind of with you. I mean, I'm I'm all the way with you, but I I have a couple thoughts and, and potential tweaks to the overall thought process in terms of how can we expand that out to be more comprehensive, which is your ultimate goal, which I agree with. For those that don't know what exactly he's talking about, I had mentioned on the podcast um, a couple days ago that 33rd team had come up with this little chart to show Packers defenses during, or not Pack NFL quarterbacks and the defenses that they had, best or worst defensive support. And even the way that they did it was a little bit weird. It was ranking which I guess kind of makes sense because it's in comparison to other teams, but still it would be nice to just know, for example, points allowed or whatever. But um, it showed Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger had the best defenses. This is average team defensive rank points per game per year during that that particular quarterback's tenure. Then you've got the mediocre quarterbacks or, or teams who've had sort of decent defenses, Brett Favre, Phillip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, Peyton Manning, and then quarterbacks who had terrible defenses during their tenure, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, Eli Manning, and especially Matt Stafford, who's kind of in his own category. So that was the defense I relayed, and I mentioned that it would be pretty surprising to Packer fans to hear that because the assumption is always that Rodgers has just consistently had the worst defenses ever, period. 
But it's true, there probably should be a little bit of a deeper look. So I want to start with something that I did kind of by myself that isn't exactly what you suggested, but we'll, we'll get there as well. But I wanted to look at this, just looking at the difference between, as you pointed out, regular season and postseason. Now, you specific, specified the, the losses, and I get where you're going, and that makes sense. But I just want to start here, because I, I do think it's, it's interesting to look at regular season defensive performance, postseason defensive performance, and what is the difference. So um, if you look at regular season defensive performance, it actually follows almost perfectly in line with the order that they had. Brady, Wilson, Roethlisberger, Favre, Rivers, Rodgers, Manning, and I just did Colts Manning. I didn't do Total or Broncos Manning. I just did while he was with the Colts. Ryan, Breeze, Eli, and uh, Stafford. Surprisingly, a lot of them had pretty decent defenses in terms of, you know, again, if you're looking at 24 points kind of being the standard or whatever, but Brady average defense, 18.7. Wilson, 19.3. Ben Roethlisberger, 19. Brett Favre, 19.3. Uh, Rivers, 21.1. Rogers 21.2. Manning, 21.4. Uh, Matt Ryan, 23.1, Breeze, 23.4, Eli Manning, 23.2, and Matt Stafford, 24.9. Now, postseason is when it gets a little bit interesting. First of all, there's there's two different things here. Who had really bad defenses and who had really bad playoff defenses? And so you've got some guys like, um, for example, Drew Breeze, who was bad in both categories, but it wasn't that much worse in the postseason than it was in the regular season. So just based on bad defenses. In order from best to worst, you have Eli Manning with 19 points, uh, Peyton Manning 20.1, Russell Wilson 20.3, Brady 21.2, Rivers 21.3, Favre 23, Ben Roethlisberger 25.3, Drew Brees 25.5, Aaron Rodgers 26, Matt Ryan 26.1, and Matt Stafford 31.6. So automatically you can see that Aaron Rodgers had the third worst playoff defense um, with only Matt Ryan slightly ahead and then Matt Stafford just in a whole other category, again, with 31.6. But there's also the issue of how big of a difference was there. It kind of doesn't matter, right? It's just a matter of how good or bad you are, but it's still interesting to see in terms of clutch or otherwise defenses. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers had it pretty bad at 22.6% worse in the postseason. You can already tell 21.2 was the average defensive points given up in the regular season and then 26 in the postseason. Maybe part of that has to do with playing in the NFC North where teams suck, but still that ain't great. But for the sake of uh, something being interesting, the Mannings are the only two quarterbacks whose defenses actually were better in the postseason, which might explain why Eli was a mediocre quarterback that actually has two Super Bowls. Peyton, I don't know what his excuse is, um, 21.4 in the regular season, 20.1 in the postseason. Philip Rivers was about even slightly worse, um, but 21.1 in the regular, 22.3 in the postseason, about 1% worse. Then you get Russell Wilson's defenses were 5% worse in the postseason. Drew Brees' defenses were 9% worse, which again sucks when you're already at 23.4 in the regular season. Matt Ryan's defenses were 13% worse. Tom Brady's defenses were 13.3% worse. Brett Favre's defenses were 19.2% worse. Aaron Rodgers' defenses, 20.64. Matt Stafford's defenses were 26.91. And then the guy who gets screwed more than anybody was Ben Roethlisberger. Yes, he had good defenses to play with, but in the postseason, um, one of the worst defenses to play with. 33.2% worse in the postseason than they were in the regular season. So already you can see digging a little bit deeper, there, there is more to it, right? Aaron Rodgers, yes, overall, the defenses weren't all that horrible compared to other quarterbacks, but looking at just postseason defenses, 
it was one of the worst in terms of just overall points given up and also in terms of how much worse they became in the postseason as opposed to the regular season. Now, I spent a lot of time working on this and I didn't spend as much time looking into your specific statistics in terms of giving concise numbers, but let's look at some examples. Aaron Rodgers playoff losses, and there are 10 of them. In order, the defenses gave up 13, 31, 37, 44, 26, 28, 23, 45, 37, and 51. That's in reverse order. So again, if we're calling 24 points, sort of a baseline like, oh, that's fine. Even if we want to bump it up a little, let's say we bump it up to 26 because it's the postseason. That'll add one more game to the, um, given the benefit of the doubt to the defense column. Seven of the 10 losses would fall in the category of giving up too many points. Six of the 10 losses had 30 or more points. Three of those losses had 40 or more points. Now, how does that compare to the rest of the the quarterbacks? Well, let's take a look. Eli Manning has had four losses. In those losses, the defenses gave up 38, 23, 23, and zero. The only loss that was a significant loss was to the Packers in uh, 2008, or excuse me, 2017, in which we beat them 13 to 38. Otherwise, again, three really good defensive performances. It was the offense that failed all three of those times. Actually, it was all four of those times because they only scored 13 in... (laughs) in uh in the that other game that they lost so it was both but the the offense came up short all four times which also should be worth noting what did the offense do in those games because it's possible for for the offense and defense to independently either do a good job or do a bad job the offenses in those games 10 26 20 21 20 22 20 31 20 and 45 so it it's somewhat unfair to just look at the defense and say you guys sucked in most of these games because let's be honest, 10 points, 20 points, 21 points, 20, 22, 20, 20, those all suck. Um, again, 26 is kind of mediocre, not super great. So really, two times the offense did a great job and lost. 31-45 loss to San Francisco in 2013, 45-51 loss in 2010. There's no other losses in which you can say the offense did a great job, but because of the defense, they lost. So, I mean, we could probably just end it there because even if we come to the conclusion that, yes, the defense failed much more often than any other team's defense, it still doesn't address the question of what did the offense do. This is not good enough. Even if you want to say the game against Tampa was fine, 26 points, that's somewhat adequate enough, especially against that defense. Okay, fine. If we want to try to forget how bad the offense looked in that game. But even so, you know, that's that's iffy. And the last time the the offense did a really good job in loss was 2013. Since then, 20, 22, 20, 21, 20, 26, and 10. That's what the offense has done since 2013. We'll continue on, but that that's sort of just the the offense and the defense has been bad in the in the postseason. Period. I think we spend too much time trying to blame one or the other. It's kind of both. But continuing on, just for the sake of of context. And, and we started with Eli to show that the defense is good, but we've already established that Eli had some pretty good defenses in the postseason. Uh, let's look at Peyton, and this includes Denver. Um, going from, I guess, oldest to newest, his defense is 19, 23, 41, 24, 20, 21, 28, 23, 31, 17, 38, 43, 24. So clearly much more promising or, or solid defensive performances. You got one, two, three, four, five six, seven, eight that were 24 or less out of 13. But again, as much as you can look at that and say, hey, most of the losses were on the defense. I mean, eight out of 13 is more than 50%. 
Look at the offensive performances in these games. And again, you can't really blame the defense because he had solid defenses or whatever. We've already established that. But even if you try it, let's look at what the offense did. 16, 17, 0, 14, 3, 18, 24, 17, 17, 16, 35, 8, and 13. One solid offensive performance in which the defense let him down, and that was in 2013 against Baltimore. That's it. Looking at um, Phillip Rivers and his losses, his defense is 24, 21, 35, 17, 24, 41, and 27. Again, clearly a better defensive performance overall. Uh, one, two, two bad games, more or less. The 27 points is not great, but you know if you score 24 points, you can't necessarily expect to win in the postseason. Looking at Russell Wilson and his losses, defenses gave up 30, 28, 31, 36, 24, 28, and 30. So, I mean... <laughs> You know, we, we again, sometimes you dig into these things and you look at data that isn't exactly as you expected. The assumption that we're able to operate with is, yeah, well, Russell Wilson's always had better defenses. Well, based on your criteria, which I think is a good criteria, because that is the question, when you lose, whose fault is it? Um, these elite defenses, and granted, many of these are, are in recent years when the defense wasn't quite as good, but still, these are not good defensive performances ever. The only one in which the defense did a good job would have been um, against Dallas. They gave up 24 points, which is just adequate, and the offense scored 22. Now, the offense hasn't ever been great. The highest they scored was 28, but the lowest was 20. So between 20 and 28 every single time. So the defense was mostly a letdown, but the defense, or the, the offense was mostly a letdown, but the defense failed in just about every single one of these, including back in 2013 against Atlanta, giving up 30 points, giving up 28, 31, 36, 24, 28, 30. These are not good. They're not hor- horrific blowouts like you know Aaron Rodgers in the 40s and 50s, but it's not a good performance, especially for a, a quarterback who's seen as having these great defenses. Um, four out of the seven playoff losses had points of 30 or more points given up by the defense. Every single playoff loss gave up at least 24 points. So this isn't exactly dominant Legion. And even that was in uh, 2019, well past the Legion of Boom days. Looking at Drew Brees' defenses, um, 20, 39, 41, 36, 23, 29, 26, 26, and 30. Honestly, not as bad as I expected. Um, Only one of them was a good defensive performance in which they lost, and the offense put up 15 points. But uh, 26 twice and uh, 29, that's not the worst in the world. But of course, these are more recent when the, the defense was actually quite solid, 2019 and 2020. But still, 2021, they gave up 30 points. And then obviously, back in the day when they were just terrible defenses, 36, 41, 39. But again, you get 17 points, 14 points, 15 points. There are two instances um, in 2011 and 2012 when Drew Brees got let down big time by the defense, 36 points and still lost, 32 points and still lost, but that's basically it. I think overall what we're finding is usually when teams lose in the postseason, it's, it's, it's usually the offense and the defense that kind of kind of lets you down, including for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, Matt Ryan, six playoff losses, the defenses in those games, 30, 48, 24, 28, 34, and 15. Terrible defensive performances in every single game except maybe two. There's a game against the Giants in which they scored two points somehow. And then uh, in 2018, their most recent playoff loss, they scored 10 points. Otherwise, the, uh, the defenses have been a letdown. But again, the offense is the powerhouse. How many games did the offense score a ton of points and still lose? Basically zero. The best offensive performance in which they lost was 28-34. So you can't even say all poor Matt Ryan, which was my instinct immediately. When I saw this and I did this and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing, you know, 13% worse in the postseason, giving up 26 points on average in the postseason, I'm thinking poor Matt Ryan. Well, no, it's not. 
The guy has scored, his best effort was 28 points, and that was an overtime game. His other offensive performances, 24-21, 2-24-10, give me a break. That kind of sucks. Tom Brady's playoff losses, um, he's had 12 of them, believe it or not. Defenses in those games, 27, 38, 17, 33, 28, 21, 28, 26, 20, 41, 20, and 30. So it's, I don't know, some decent performances, some bad ones. Um, has he been let down? Yeah, he, he lost putting up 34 points against Indy, 34 to 38. Um, otherwise, there was 33 to 41 against Philadelphia, and then 27 to 30 against Tampa, or excuse me, against uh, the, the Rams this past year was pretty pretty decent offense performance in a loss. He was let down by his defense. But a lot of the offense was to blame for that 13, 14, 14, 21, 17, 13, 16, 18, 13. Mostly offensive failures. Probably slightly better defensive performances than other teams, but not purely. So I, I, I think in general, and I'll, I'll finish out the rest of these last three quarterbacks, but in general, the, the overall narratives, I think, when we get too far into one category of Brady has always had great defenses, and that's why. And granted, if you look at the wins, you probably will see more consistent um, good play or whatever. But then maybe that would be the next best thing to look at is how many times did... Uh... Actually, you know what? I am going to look at that. I won't go through every single quarterback, but I do want to look at that. We'll do Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers. But the, the letdowns have been offensive and defensive in just about every category. At the very least, want to look at Favre because I'm interested in it. So for Brett Favre, the defensive performances, 27, 35, 38, 31, 30, 45, yikes. 27, 20, 31, 23, and 31. Man, this guy is, uh, he's had a rough go with the defenses too. But again, despite the bad performances by the defenses, you can't really feel entirely sorry for Brett Favre. For example, 1995, the defense gave up 35 points, but the offense only scored nine. Offensive performances, 17, 9, uh, 17, 9, 27, 24, 27, 17, 7, 17, 17, 20, and 28. So positive offensive performances in which they lost 2010, but it was only 28 points. I mean, he hasn't scored 30 points ever and lost. So yes, the defenses have been pretty terrible for Brett Favre in the postseason, but the offenses have also been pretty terrible, which again is a common theme, including with Aaron Rodgers. But I want to see the wins. We'll do Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, and Tom Brady, and we'll leave it at that. But the question is, when you win, is it the offense, the defense, or both? Because we found out the losses largely are both. The offense and the defense suck. Brett Favre, defensive performance in wins. 24-12-20-17-14-13-21-7-10-15-27-20-3. 20, Every single game with the exception of one, the defense was clutch. Every single one. Again, using the 24 thing as a metric, the worst game was 27. Even that's not horrible. Offensively, 28, 16, 37, 27, 35, 30, 35, 21, 23, 25, 33, 42, and 34. Almost every single game was a very good offensive performance. Based on the 24 thing, the only game that the Packers got bailed out on by, was, was by the defense in 1994. They beat Detroit 16 to 12. Um, there's, the, I guess, also the 1998 game against Tampa. Uh, 21-7. But for the most part, it's it's it was it was both. In fact, games in which it was both 34 to 3, 42 to 20, um, 25 to 15, 35 to 21, 30 to 13, 35 to 14, 27 to 17, 37 to 20, 28, 24. Most of the games were offense and defense doing a good job. That's for Brett Favre. 
since this whole thing is about Aaron Rodgers, we'll save that for last. Um, Tom Brady, this is going to take forever. 35 playoff wins, um, including Super Bowls, I believe. Um, boy, oh boy. How many times did the defense... Let's just do it this way. I'm not going to read off every single one. How many times did the defense give up more than 24 points and Tom Brady and the offense came through and won? We've got, out of 35, one, two, <laughs> three, four... Five, six, seven, seven times. And of those seven, most of them were still in no real big time um, games. Most of them are 28. There was the 37 31 victory over Kansas City in overtime. Otherwise, yeah, 29 points, 28 points, 28 points. Offensively, how many times did the offense not crack 24 and the defense bailed them out? One, two, three, four. Um, five, six, seven, seven times. So more so, but we're still talking about seven out of 35, meaning the offense came through in the clutch almost every single time. The defense came through in the clutch almost every single time. Um, earlier on in, in Tom Brady's career seems to be like the first several, 16, 24, 20, 17, 24. They won all those games. Okay, fine. If you look more recently, though, 31, 31, 31, 30, 31, 13, 37, 41, 24, 35, 34, 36, 34, Tom Brady is crushing everybody. Almost every single postseason win is 30-some-odd points, so you can't just put it on defense with Tom Brady. He's crushing everybody. Now let's finally do Aaron Rodgers. Again, focusing on how many times the offense bailed out the defense, how many times the defense bailed out the offense, but we'll just go through each individual one because there's only 12 wins. Starting from oldest to newest, 42-20, So really bad defensive performances in which Aaron Rodgers bailed them out, I think is only once against Dallas in 2017. I mean, technically based on strictly 24 points, you could add Pittsburgh to that, 31-25, to but 25 points in the Super Bowl is not the worst thing in the world. So again, every single playoff win, with the exception of one, again, that was against Dallas, 34 to 31, the defense has come through clutch. In terms of offensively, how many times did they win because the defense bailed them out? Um, Based strictly on 24 points, twice. Green Bay and Philadelphia, the offense only scored 21, defense held them to 16. Against the Bears, offense only scored 21, defense held them to 14. Again, for the most part, the defense, the, 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 in the playoffs, the vast majority of the time, when you lose, it's an offensive and defensive failure. When you win, it's an offensive and defensive victory. The bailouts happen, but it's rare. Aaron Rodgers has bailed out his defense exactly once. Once. One time. Aaron Rodgers has been let down by his defense twice. Because remember, you can't count it if Aaron Rodgers also failed. 31 points, and, and, and again, this was back in 2013. 31 points, lost um, 31-35 excuse me, 3145, and then in 2008, scored 45 points, lost 45-51. That's it. So, whole lot of talk, whole lot of uh, discussion about who gets the better defenses, who has the better offenses, and all this letdown, and all this other stuff. Um, honestly, it's, a, it's an offensive and defensive thing. I think anything, any narrative that points at one thing being absolute is just going to be wrong. It's true his defenses haven't been great, but again, if you look at the individual pieces, which is what Adam asked us to do, which was exactly correct. 
The defense has been pretty bad, but so is the offense. Aaron Rodgers has been let down twice by his defense. Guess what? The defense has been let down twice by Aaron Rodgers in the offense. Just last year, 13 points held to, they only scored 10. And then back against San Francisco in 2014, they held them to 23 points. The offense only scored 20. So the defense has been let down just as much by the offense as the offense has been let down by the defense, in my opinion. So there you go. I really appreciate the question. It forced me to kind of dig into this a little bit more. I think I learned a ton about this. It's funny because you know sometimes I'll go on shows and it'd be like, man, it's crazy how you can just rattle off information like that. And the only reason that I can is because of stuff like this. People come on, they're like, hey, you should look into this. And I dig into it. I'm like, I didn't know any of this. This is fantastic information. And I feel like me and you are the only ones that know this stuff. It's amazing. It's great. Me and you are brilliant. <laughs> it's awesome. Anyways, I got to go. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.